the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. First question I want to ask you is, and this is definitely a loaded question, but what's wrong with a theory test? We've got, if we were short in time, we could do what's right with the theory <laughs> test. It's quick. No, I want to know what's wrong. <laughs> so, what, what's the swearing policy on this you one? Can. Cool, it's crap. It, it isn't fit for purpose, in my opinion. Um, I don't see the point of it. I think there's a lot of issues for a lot of individual people trying to to access it and take it. And if we go back to the initial point of why is there a theory test? It is to make people safer on the road because that's that's got to be you know the goal the the whole point of everything is to identify a minimum standard to make people safe safe enough and it doesn't uh, the majority of people pass their theory test and if we're generous two weeks later probably wouldn't pass it again. Um, I say generous two weeks later because it's probably the next day or once they've walked out the theory test centre. Um, yeah, it, it's the, a lot of the questions are pointless. Um, uh, to just three off the top of my head, etching your VIN number or number plate onto the window of your car, which everybody did in the eighties and early nineties, you can still buy the kit in Halfords. Um, it is still possible. Maybe it will make a comeback. But no one does. Vehicle watch schemes. I am not aware of any that are active in the UK. Uh, There's still a question about vehicle watch schemes. And then um, topping your your battery fluid up. You know, batteries are now sealed. I don't know of anyone that does. You know, maybe it still happens occasionally. But it's pointless. And if you're asking pointless questions, no one's going to give it the respect that it needs. We should make it worthwhile. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of a, a, a split system of if mechanical stuff is important enough, then let's make sure that they go and do a two-hour course that I bet Halfords would, would happily provide sponsored at cost basis because it gets people in the door and maybe they can give them a loyalty card. And I have had the conversation with with Halfords, but they will want it to come from the DBSA before they're interested. Uh, or if you know, even with eyesight, you know, when you look at the practical test, well, let's get them to bring an eyesight t- certificate. Um, the same thing with the theory. If if first aid is that important, then let's have a little. Okay, you go and do your one hour first aid, your one hour mechanics, and and then you do your theory. So if if, if it's that important, let's do it. If not. But the risk of putting myself out of a job, let's scrap it. Do you think it should be scrapped, or do you think it should be completely revitalised? Look, I, I think there's really important information that people should know. But if if you're not going to even do it slightly properly, then probably... I don't think there's anything on the theory that people will not have learnt in the car with their instructor to that will affect safety. They might end up getting you know, an extra parking ticket from doing something that they shouldn't have. Or they, you know, going into a yellow box, which is is more an inconvenience than a danger. But um yeah, I, I think that, you know, it 
it needs to, it needs to have a point. And if there isn't a point, or, or uh, having had a conversation with Graham Hooper yesterday, a learning goal, um, which is a phrase I'm trying to use more. It doesn't come naturally. Uh, point is more my thing. Um, if there's not a point to it, then I, uh, I I I just don't see why we're doing it. Let, let's change it. Let's make it better. And and then because you wanted the long version, you wanted what's wrong with it. Um, the majority of my pupils, and this is slowly the proportions are changing, have some kind of additional need. You know, they're coming to me because they're failing, not because they want to pass and starting at the beginning. So uh, the the accessibility for people, it's a very written test. It's it's very wordy. It's not well written. The accessibility of it is is not good even with additional accommodations. The very fact they're called additional accommodations and it sounds like they're going to put you up in a hotel for the night is, you know, extra help. Let's call it that. Um, Extra support if you don't want to make it help. But, yeah, let's make make it accessible um, and improve the way that we can do that. What, just to clarify, when you talk about your pupils, you're not referring to your learners, are you? You're talking about the people that come to you for the, the theory test. That, that, there's a mixed bag question. Uh, they they are my learners from the point of yes. view I don't have a car. Um, I, uh, this is partly a sore point because I'm still a driving instructor without a car. Um, theory is still a driving instructor's domain, although not regulated by the DBSA. So if they don't like it and take my badge, I get to still work. Um, so uh, you don't have to be a driving instructor to teach theory. I think you should have to be. I think that would be brilliant. And if we made it that it was just driving instructors, um, maybe we would then take it more seriously. But so, so from my perspective, they are my learners because you know we, I, I see it as one whole thing. But no, it is the the people that I am doing theory training, theory support, uh, theory advice with because uh, I work on a number of different levels. If if we are just kind of oblivious going about those day to day tasks, we're not noticing that stuff. We're not we're not noticing, like you said, when when something's affecting us, are we? No, that's right. And the trouble is as well, the way we live in our society, it's all about the way we deal with things is to numb and avoid. So even if it's a subconscious thing, we feel a bit narky. Uh, we might not even realise we we feel anything or we feel a certain way. It's just an accumulation of things and it might play out with us exploding at somebody or getting cross about something. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it just comes down to us just, I've just lost my thread there. <laughs> I've just lost my thread there. Um, you can edit, you're going to edit this, aren't you? No, that's staying in. <laughs> oh, no, i just lost my thread so you were just saying oh just remind me what you just said i can't remember um i'll tell you what let's go with this um because like we said at the beginning that mindfulness isn't specifically uh meditation it's about being present as you just were clearly um it's about being present in the moment so when you what what would constitute that so does it need to be sort of specifically sitting down being silent or could it be wrapped up in something that you love doing and enjoy you know like just something where you don't see that time just flying by yeah it, that's it, it could, it's, it's conscious choice isn't it it's just choosing something 
because we get caught caught up in certain patterns of behavior and that kind of escalates you know into a situation that might not be beneficial or helpful but it's choosing something that that is going to feel better to be with so that could be for example i might notice i'm massively ruminating about something or feeling that replaying the conversation that might have upset me and i can either on a subconscious level get caught up in that or i could notice oh that that rumination is making me feel worse it's making me feel bad what's my choice here and that might just be as simple as just sitting and looking out the window and noticing the sunshine and the blue sky and just taking a breath notice my feet on the floor you know noticing the, the breeze against my skin just coming into the into my physical what what is really happening right here right now how, you know in this present moment how am i in this present moment well right here in this present moment i'm okay i'm safe i'm warm nothing bad is happening right now in this present moment and it's the ability to bring ourselves back isn't it yeah i think that's something that you speak about a lot on on your uh, mindfulness course that I've been on, and it was that that briefing that was a uh, almost an eye opener for me because I the sort of person that will just get wrapped up in ten thousand thoughts and then you start stressing and panicking and the whole world's against you, and I think you know just have to remind yourself sometimes just stop, take a couple of breaths, go get a drink, you're all right. Like you said, right now yeah, you're okay. Cool. I think the other one I'd throw in there, uh, when when stuff's going a bit mental in your brain, there's a a chap called Richard Nichols, a psychotherapist, and um, he's actually been on the podcast once, but I listened to one of his podcasts once, and he was talking about when your brain's going hell for leather, think of a stop sign, and you don't have to actually shout it, but mentally shout the word stop. And what it does, it cuts off all those thoughts, and then go into what what you've just been talking about and, and breathe. Do you remember there was an acronym acronym that we shared on the course, and it's the STOP acronym. Remember, and I actually posted a little postcard, and it, the acronym is STOP, and STOP stands for STOP, take a breath, observe, and that observation is exactly what is here right now. You know, what's the what's the... What's that internal barometer saying? What's the weather like right now? Observe and then proceed mindfully. So then I, I can, it's almost like breaking that electrical circuit, you know, because I know exactly what you mean with rumination. I used to do it all the time uh, really badly. Um, and it's like, a, it's like an electric circuit. But when you learn to break that circuit, you bro- you're just putting a block. You're, you're, it's a circuit breaker. And you're just able to stop, take a moment, breathe, and by the time you've done that, you know, and done whatever you need to do, often something else will have happened and you, you'll be thinking about something else. Um, I'm, I'm slightly moved because anyone watching this video will have seen my expression when you say, do you remember the acronym? I'm like, no, I don't remember any acronyms. I'm falling <laughs> with acronyms. They, they don't stick. And there's too many. They don't work for me. Um, but, but, yeah, oh. so I, I think... Like you said, then it can be anything where you take a moment, or we get lost in in that moment. The what other bad habits do you think that prevent us doing that? Because not my big one is is my phone, and it's it's that habit of I'll pick the phone up and I'll start scrolling or I'll check, and not consciously. That's a subconscious habit picking in. So, what are the the negatives of of, of doing that? What are the big bad examples? 
Well, I, I think, and I hear what you're saying, I think it's recognising what patterns of behaviour don't serve us. And you've just identified that you feel that constant checking perhaps, you know, isn't to that, to that level is going to be that useful to you. Um, and I suppose it's just developing strategies to help to manage it. One thing for me, I noticed how the news was starting to make me feel because it was it was incessant. Like my husband would have it on in the morning, it'd be on at lunchtime, it'd be on in the evening, and it was incessant. And I really was aware of how it was making me feel, like I'm sure it has a lot of people. Um, and I went away on a retreat for a week, and it was no screen time, no phone, no TV, nothing. And it was heaven, absolute heaven. And it made me realise, well, actually, I've got control over this. So when I came home, I was much more discerning with that, you know. So when I, so I, I've asked my husband, he's been great. We just have breakfast together now in the dining room. We don't have the telly on. I don't have it on at lunchtime. It means I'm more productive because I, I do chores and the bits and pieces that I'm, I have the radio on now. So I tend to do more, you know, it's it's more productive. And the things I do sit down and watch, I, I have the intention to do that. So I suppose with the phone, exactly, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and I find for me, it can be useful to leave it downstairs. I've got a little alarm clock. I bought that because um, I was doing the same thing, Terry, just spending too much time looking at my phone. I've got a little alarm clock, leave the phone downstairs, and then I can't check it. But it is, it's it's recognising the things that we do that we think, well, oh, actually, that's not ideal maybe i need to change tack there but it's the only way we can do it is to work out a strategy that is realistic and is gonna work the best selling in the world is just having a conversation because it's no pressure like i don't need to convince you to do anything i just need to have a conversation with you and if you like me as a person i said hey i fulfill an exact thing that you need to do you can pay me for it You're like great jobs are good and let's get going it's as simple as it is so you guys are selling but just change the term selling in your head from like oh i've got to do stuff it's more like i'll just have a conversation with people that's all you're doing just start conversations really easily uh, and the second thing is it's about who you're applying that to like I can think of someone that would love the 58 minutes of driving. I, I actually know them very, very well. And they're a dear friend of mine because they love behind being, they love being behind the wheel. It's just their thing. They're like, put, they've been learning how to drive since they were young. Uh, when we were 18, they literally got their, their driver's license like three days into being 18 because they'd spent so much time learning how to drive from the time they were 15 and 16. Um, not always legally, but they actually were just doing it because they just wanted to get behind the wheel. They, they actually could because they saved up, they went and got it. Um, I think it was three days is how long it took them for actually to go from their first, he first lesson to being expedited directly to like, yeah, just go get your driver's, uh, driver's license. You already know what you're doing. You've already passed your theory. You just need to just get this now sorted. We don't need 10 lessons. Um, there's a bit of a legend for it. But at the same time, I know people who are so anxious, they can't be on the road for that long. Like they yeah. can only be on the road for short spaces of time because for them, they need to have the back and forth. So you got to know who you want to talk to and be the instructor that just speaks to them. So if you're like the 58 minute person probably attracted all the right people that they were looking for. Whereas you wrote your post and you attracted all the people that you were looking for. Doesn't mean either one is wrong. Just means they're different styles of teaching. Yeah. And, it's interesting you say that because something I speak about a lot on here 
uh, is that I never work with anyone that I don't like um, yeah. because I'm stuck in a car with people two hours at a time. I don't want that in my day if I dislike them. That doesn't mean I'm going to love yeah. everything about them. It just means that it's yeah. got to be someone I want to work with. And that filtering starts from me with what I put into the world. So the fact that I, in the past, have spoke about being an ally to the LGTB plus community, the fact that I shared stuff around Black Lives Matter, the, the fact that I was um, doing the following the guidance around COVID and stuff like that, it meant that if I come across someone that was homophobic, for example, they're not coming to me because I've already yeah. filled them out because why would they come to someone that's embracing that? And one of the things I see a lot in our industry is instructors complaining an awful lot about the people they work with. So yeah. is, is there any sort of advice you could give us that could help us filter out those people that, that come to us and pre-filter almost? Yes. So this is going to sound really counterintuitive, the part I'm going to say, because I don't want it to be, but I need to speak to everyone here. Um, there is a huge shift more towards liberal values in most businesses. And for some people, that is just not who you are. Not that you have anything wrong with anyone or whatever it is. You're just kind of like, this is not the type of person I just naturally gel with. We have different opposing views and you're human. You're allowed to have your own views. That's all I'm saying. What I'm saying is at that point, don't front as if you're a different bit, like different type of business and don't even mention it. Don't even go into like, I don't work with trans people. I don't work with body blah, whatever it is. No one cares. You know, it's not a huge thing. If you don't do it, just say, like, if someone comes to you for a driving advice, driving help, try and find something you get along with them. But if you don't, just walk away from it. Be like, actually, you know what? I have the right person for you. It's not me. I'll send you along to the right person. This makes a great deal for you because you can actually get into, um, if you're a very conservative person, reach across like the aisle, so to say, and find a very liberal driving instructor. So if you get any liberal people come to you, you can be like, hey, listen, you can go to that person over there. And that's great. And they can send you like a commission or they can send you some business back where they've dealt with someone that is not in their liking. Like, hey, you should go work with Steve. Steve would get along with you. It's just a way of building referrals. But let's just take that away from what it is and go with how do you filter people out? Well, talk about what it is that you want to talk about. Because some people don't care about your politics, your gender, the ideas that you have. They just don't care. They're like, look, you're a driving instructor. I'm here to learn how to drive. That's all I need. You can be okay with that. If that's the type of person you are where you're like, I don't really want to talk about my politics, ideas, or whatever it is. Great. You've got a perfect match made in heaven. You can even make a whole ad about that, which is want to have a driving instructor that literally just sits there and teaches you how to drive and helps you get through your exams so you have a great time don't care about my politics, nor do I want to know about yours, but we actually have a great time of just being respectful to one another. Superb. Let's sit, get, let's get on a call and see if we actually are a fit or whatever it is the next process would be. Because the reality is you're filtering out. If you're someone that is on the opposite side, very much like you, um, you could talk about all the stuff that's there. I follow this. I do this. You're basically showing who you are out loud and attracting people to you. If you're the type of person that doesn't naturally do that, then talk about what it is that you do. Don't talk about what your politics are. In fact, as I just said, you can say what your politics aren't and just say, I don't want to talk about it, but I want to help you. That's it. Here's what my students have said. There's a bunch of ways to actually tell people how good of a driving school you are, uh, how good of an instructor you are without going into personalization of um, ideation. You can have something on there that just says, while I am tolerant of others and who they are, what they do, I absolutely am not tolerant of these types of people. 
Because again, the the code. I was going to say the COVID thing really divided a lot of people down the middle because there are some people that were, that were exempt from wearing masks like myself, um, which I got a lot of evil eye from. Everyone was like, oh, you're not wearing a mask. I was like, yeah, because I legally can't. And it's actually bad for my health to wear a mask um, because of like how my respiration has been for the last couple of years. They're like, oh, OK, fine. Fair enough. But at the same time, I don't hold anyone else to that. Like, if you told me, like, Adel, you can't, I can't be a driving instructor unless you wear a mask. I'm like, well, I can't wear a mask. I'm going to have to find a different driving instructor, but nothing against you. Simple as. It was a fascinating time for me, actually, because I remember, you know, we, we were, went, during lockdowns, we weren't allowed to teach. So there was, like, formal period with no lessons. When we came back, I messaged all my students and said, look, I'm wearing a mask. It's stated that we need to wear masks in car. Do you have any mm-hmm. reasons why you can't? I think there were two or three that messaged me back and said, actually, yeah, this. And I'm like, how about you bring a mask to the car, we're trying. If it's not working the first five minutes, don't wear it. And they're all like, yeah, yeah. no problem, let's try that. And yeah. I just, I, you said, the, the word you used was conversation. And I hadn't put two and two together until I was saying it then. It's like, that's what it was. It was a conversation. And we came to something that worked for both of us. Perhaps if I'd have had a medical condition, where I wanted that person to wear a mask, I might have had to say, no, you need to wear a mask because of my medical condition. And if you can't, you'll have to go somewhere else, no hard feelings. But it's that conversation that you were talking about, isn't it? Exactly. If you're kind of people, believe it or not, things just work out. They really do. People are way less dickish than you realize. Yeah. They can get they can get very hard. Like the, the way I look at it is most of my friends are extremely out there. I have friends that are very politically conservative. I have friends that are extremely liberal. And I have some of my best friends that spring along the entire spectrum of what it is. I live in the middle, which I know people go, how could you live in the middle? I actually do live in the middle. Because um, my rule is, well, I'm not going to say that, well, actually, the C word. I'm just going to use that one because I know it can offend some people. Don't be a C word, an a-hole, or a dick. And essentially, we'll all get along. Happy times. Great. I won't judge you. You won't judge me. We're all good and well. Everyone each to their own. Where I have a problem is if you start telling me what I need to believe and why, then we have an issue. But other than that, I'm like, nah, as long as no one's getting hurt and everyone's happy, we're fine. Generally, and especially with like Focus Corp and Motorsport, 100% doesn't it doesn't matter who you are um they're welcoming regardless um they've got other women raced in the championship as well in the general automotive industry however that's where i've experienced some challenges with it um i mean generally i just let comments go over my head i don't really care and i've <laughs> there's not much people can say that i haven't heard i've worked with cars since i left school so there's there's yeah not much new that someone can say to try and annoy me. But, um, you know, it does wear you down a little bit sometimes. When it's constant and it's the same old jokes, you just think, like, just, you know, get a new line. At least try something unique, mate. If you're going to try and insult me, come on, just choose something uh, that you've actually thought of yourself. But generally, motorsport-wise, it doesn't really matter. We all put our helmets on. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. We all look the same, don't we? Um, It's all just about going out and having some fun. Yes, but I also... I want to touch on that a little bit because we spoke about the yeah. social media stuff before and about the some of the negative stuff, specifically with, with driving instructors. And I don't think I'm misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure you posted the other day showing someone, some bloke, you know, bitching about you being a female driver or whatever. And it's like, how, 
how do you deal with that? You know, and, and what advice would you give to other people? Because, and, and I suppose specifically women in this instance, but it, like you said, it, it's tiresome. How, how do you keep going when that's something you're facing? It's, it is tiresome. It's really tiresome. I posted the other day because I got a little bit frustrated with it all, but it was International Women's Day, as you might well be aware. Um, and I just thought it was appropriate. The article came out the day before um, on purpose so that people could read it. Um, and they were just trying to give a little push to women doing something a little bit different. So I felt the article was really well-timed. Um, and, yeah, there was a few comments. It's always interesting, though. The comments were made under the article itself on the website rather than on Facebook. So the people had usernames rather than their name or their profile, which is you, – you make your own mind up whether that's relevant to the comments they made. But, yeah, there was a couple of comments, and some of them are meant in jest. I know they're not from a bad place, but they are exhausting. And you just think, well, all you're doing is feeding this narrative that women are terrible drivers and blah, blah, blah. And to me, it's it's damaging. I know it might just seem like an innocent joke to most. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm the first person that can laugh at myself. I'm always taking the mick out of myself and I like to think I'm not really big-headed or anything. But there's only so much you can listen to these same old, I'm going to quote, jokes and accept that they're funny. Um, you know, it's not a, a walk offence, uh, like offended thing. I just think when you've got young young girls who are potentially looking at a career in the automotive industry or racing or anything of that sort, they're reading that. And that narrative is fed in from them being a kid that women can't drive, women aren't good enough to do that job, it's a man's job, um, and it's just not true. I think we just need to stop that, let it, let it just be, let people do what they want to do without having to take the mick out of it I hope that makes sense what I'm you know the way I think of it you know there was <laughs> it wasn't mentioned in the article actually because it was all about the racing it wasn't mentioned that I was a driving instructor but yeah one of the comments was yeah but can she parallel park though and so my response was well I hope so because I'm a driving instructor and he, he disappeared after that he didn't come back one of them was something about women not being successful in motorsport um, and, I, you know, let's see if she's successful, like really kind of snarky about it. And I thought, well, it's just a really odd way of thinking of it to assume that somebody who I've said in the article, I'm starting out, this is my first time really racing, um, to think that I have to enter at the top of my game, right on the podium straight away, otherwise you're no good, is a really bizarre thing because I've not seen any gentleman questioned about why aren't you straight to the top of the podium? Then you can't be very good then, can you? But it's just this weird, like, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to learn. You've, and, and do you know what? It doesn't matter if I was at the back for the every race I ever do for the rest of my life. If I'm enjoying it, someone's got to be at the back. It, does, it doesn't matter. I, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, you get these really bizarre comments. Um, sometimes you've just got to, or I do, I, I just ignore them. It's hard. You've got to be a bit thick-skinned with some of them. But, yeah, you've, you've got to be either ignore them or kill them with kindness, I think. Because if you reply just as arsey as they've been, they love it. It's like catching a, a fish, isn't it? They just reel you in and all they want is a bit of online banter and they think that they've got you, so you just ignore them or 
be super nice. I actually offered somebody to come and have a go uh, at, at my job once because he made a comment online about um, he didn't think I'd see it, but he made this comment and he said something about being in the kitchen. And I thought, oh, my God. So I left it at first, but he just kept picking. He just kept putting little comments under the video. And at the time, I was working with the British Drift Championship doing presenting work. So we were, like, live presenting to, like, a million people. I was 100% out of my comfort zone, but I was loving it. I was learning loads. You know, I was I was improving at the job. and. Not the best presenter in the world by far, but just enjoying myself. Anyway, I made this comment. And so I said, well, if you'd like, at the next meeting, you can I'll you be my guest. I'll pay for your ticket. You can come in and you can come up to the commentary tower and you can come and see what we do. And you can then tell me if you think it's really easy and that I should be in the kitchen. And that was one of the best ones because he crawled back in his hole and he just kind of shrunk and he was like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't think you'd see my comment. <laughs> the online world is such a strange place. It really is. You've just got to be thick-skinned. Doing this podcast, the only people that ever cancel me are driving instructors. It's yeah. never like the external <laughs> guests. It's driving yeah. instructors yeah, that yeah, cancel yeah. me. Yeah, um, absolutely. But there you go. But yeah, so we're talking a little bit about CPD there. And there is... Um, a big gap in the market in terms of CPD at the moment, and both of, of us provide, I suppose, very different forms of training when it when it comes to that. But uh, I'm going to come to you first with something because I, I like your because I think the industry, in my opinion at the minute, is there's a lot of fractured stuff in the industry. It's quite fractured in places. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of negativity towards the DVSA. There's a lot of negativity towards training providers. I think there's a hell of a lot of good in the industry as well. There's some awesome people. You know, I'm talking to one of them right now. I won't say which one. Um, but what if you if you took a step back, give me your thoughts on the, the industry as you sort of look at it as a whole. Oh, so the industry here's a big question. Um if 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 you were my pupil, I'd ask you if you could be a bit more specific. So should I ask you if you can be a bit more specific or should I try and answer that huge question? Well, the, the general thoughts, what stands out for you? I mean, that's what I'm after. What stands out for you yeah. when you look at our industry now? Is it is it overtly positive? Are you seeing more negativity than usual? Kind of what, what's your overall feeling of it? So my overall feeling at the minute is unfortunately um, largely one of negativity um I, th I think there are some that are taking i mean mick wrote his article in kitmag this month was all about seizing the moment and there's opportunities out there at all you know at all levels um from being a a, a newly qualified driving instructor you maybe don't need a franchise now you maybe have that opportunity to you know, you'll never get a better opportunity to just start your own company straight off the bat. You know, so there's an opportunity. Seize it. Be positive with it. Um, test waiting times. Yes, yes, there's an issue with test waiting times, but I suppose it depends how you look at it. And can you use it to your advantage and, you know, seize the moment? Be positive. We're seeing opportunities at the minute for, you know, for us to develop. And there's plans that we've got in place that actually predate um but are needing to be completed 
um, but we're getting asked questions about things that we're already developing, which tells us, yeah, the you know the opportunities are there. Um, so on one hand, it's um, it's quite negative at the minute. I, I just feel the overall atmosphere within the industry people are getting tired of the waiting times and it's not just learner tests it's part twos and part threes for pdis that's all starting to weigh down on people i think um and it might be i don't know what you're going to ask us about lace but there might be more opportunities to talk about this later but certainly um within my area there's um there's negativity from adi examiners and that's weighing down on people. And I'm hearing lots and lots of stories and people that are sad or fearful because of experiences that they're having on part threes and standards checks. And that's increasing negativity and worry and fear. Um, so on one hand, you know, there's a hell of a lot of opportunities for people. And on the other hand, there's just a, a hell of a lot of um, worry um, and frustration. I mean, let's speak about that now for a second. You mentioned the sort of the, the negativity towards examiners in your area. What, what, what's the? Have you got an example for us? What What are you meaning there? Um, in general, um, like in all walks of life, you have different personalities and characters. Um, but within my own area, it just seems like um, the uh, the atmosphere with the ADI examiners in my area is very much um, to talk down, um, very much to put people on the back foot before they've even got in the vehicle and started moving, um, to make suggestions really that throw people off. Um, and it's it's a regular, you know, we're hearing the same thing repeatedly over and over and over. And, you know, sadly, it's not just one ADI examiner and I do think there's there's issues anyway even beyond that within um ADI examiner's ability to um to assess a lesson to um to even that even fulfills all elements of their own syllabus of the standards certainly um because it is within their syllabus unit one of their syllabus is all about level four of the GE matrix it just seems that they're not capable of or in many cases because i can't you know can't do a sweeping generalization across the board but in many cases they're not capable of assessing what's required um to affect level four of the GDE matrix the third column i mean if you didn't laugh you'd cry but how do you how do you go from all of that research that dates back to the early 90s the gde predates when it was created to the to 1980 updated in 1996 formulated in 1999 2023 the majority of driving instructors aren't aware of what it is and why it is and then dvsa say yes okay okay we'll go with that we'll change the way we teach and and Yes, we we recognise the importance. We'll put it into the syllabus. The need to educate people that the thoughts and feelings will impact on what they do. That's unit one now of their syllabus, and we'll change what we're trying to assess by making sure that the pupil evaluates the third column of the GDE matrix, 
and then we'll tell you to keep the wheels moving. If you didn't laugh, you'd cry. How do you do that? What sort of organisation goes, let's do all of these things that require time at the side of the road, and then say, but we only want to see 40 minutes and we want the wheels to be moving. That 20 minutes of the wheels being static that they've took away from people, that should be given back to us with the proviso that what we want you to do with that is address human factors that cause collisions to use it to create evaluation in your pupil so that they're breaking things down for themselves. Don't do it on the move because actually what we know is that people, when they're focusing in one area, they can't focus very well in another. So don't create more risk on the road by trying to get them to do it on the move. Pull it up whenever you feel like it's necessary. Get them to evaluate it, break it down, and address human factors because that takes time. That's some knowledge right there. I'm always impressed when we get stuff like that. And I'm just going to come back over to you in a second, mate. But just before we do, what, what is there anything we as instructors can do to influence um, the, the examiners in the, the situation you're talking about there? Or is it just a case of us being as awesome as we can as instructors and then going and do the delivery in this 40-minute session for examiners? I think that... At some point, there needs to be a meeting, a meeting of minds. You know, if I was to name names, it would be people that you know very well, you know, and, and coming together with DVSA and, and putting things out on the table and saying, well, these are the reasons why things need to change. And if things don't change, you know, we're featuring um, Road Peace and Road Peace Charity in Kitmag, and we have done for the last couple of months. And they're looking at Vision Zero. That's never going to happen. I mean, it might never happen anyway, but it certainly isn't going to happen without the help of driver education. And in order to fulfill that and achieve that, driver education is going to have to address the fourth level of the GDE and work downwards, context of journeys. Those are the things that lead to collisions. It's, it's not a lack of knowledge or skill. It's the journey that people are on, who's in the vehicle with them, what's going on, who they are. You know, what sort of personality do, do they have? Um, did, there's a reason why extrovert characters have more serious collisions than introvert characters. Um, and all of those things need to be addressed if we're ever going to get near Vision Zero. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I think that's some of that's contributing towards that negativity as well. It's the way the DVSA is putting out there. You know, as you said, Vision Zero. I see very little about that from the DVSA. That's something they should be championing. And, you know, I do a little bit of work with Project Edward, which is every day without a road death. And it always amuses me when I post that online because you always get someone saying, well, that's that's a stupid target. And it's like, well, what other target is there? You're going to kill three people a day or, or, or whatever. And But I think that contributes towards that negativity you mentioned as well. But I could come over to you, Mick, is... Anything you'd like to add to that or any different take you've got, as we said, on the, the industry? Is anything that stands out to you? Like, like Lee said, there is um, a lot of negativity in that. Um, a negativity towards training, towards DVSA, um, towards the national companies. Um, the negativity comes from individuals and you can... The negativity towards training comes from individuals and you could put 
money on who it would be. Um, there's certain people out there that just constantly, every time they post, it's a negative post. They think it's not, but when you when you actually read it, it is. It's it's negative. Sometimes it's, it's a negative positive or a positive negative, or sometimes even a negative positive negative. Work that out. Um, but <laughs> but but they they you know it's you know instead of just taking a step back and thinking, hang on, I'm going to be positive today, and they don't. They just post the same negative. Um, but on the positive side, there's a lot, a lot of positive stuff out there. There's a lot of people wanting to develop, um, whether that's a PDI or an ADI. Um, there's a lot of people that are wanting to come on workshops or wanting to develop skills by watching videos or um, even asking questions on Facebook. But then you always get the negative ones that seem to shout louder that put them down. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love it if people were just to, like I said, take a step back and think: Do I need to post this? Is it is it going to be of any benefit? And I I do it quite often. I did it today. I I went to reply to something, and I got three quarters of the way through writing it, and I thought, no, sod it, and I just deleted it. And I just thought, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reply. It was a positive reply but i thought my reply might just get some negative attention and i thought i can't be bothered with it so i didn't bother um what i did instead was i pm'd the person and sent them the info that way because i knew that some people would make a comment um so yeah the dvsa yeah there's a lot of negativity towards examiners both ltes examiners and adi examiners like, like lee said um, but I'm I'm fortunate where I am that the test center that I use for learners, um, that they all seem to be pretty decent. I'm not saying they're brilliant. I was up there today, and there was a an an instructor up there who's normally he's a good friend of mine, but he's normally um, quite vocal, quite negative towards the DVSA. But he actually said today, we've got the best examiners around and I, I agree with him so you only have to look at the other the other test centers around where i am and i don't go to them anymore and the stories that i hear and these stories are coming from my instructors that go to them test centers and you're thinking wow wow totally different um adi examiners uh, and, and lee knows this but we've got three up here and all three of them are pretty decent um i actually heard a negative today about one of them and i thought well, that's the first you know that's the first time i've heard a negative um but lee mentioned the gde one of the adi examiners actually mentioned the gde in a post part three debrief that i was sat in the back of and, and they asked me after have you got any comments to make yourself and i turned around and went yeah can't believe you mentioned the GDE because I've never heard an examiner mention it before. And he turned around and said that when he trains aid, uh, examiners, he he takes them through the GDE. He delivers a GDE session to them, so they do know it. But 
do they actually put it into practice? If you wake up in the morning with an alarm and you always feel like shit, right? So if you're like, oh my God, I can barely drag my head off the pillow. Um, it might not necessarily be because you didn't sleep well. It might be that you're waking up at the wrong time. So those sleep cycles that we go through, as I mentioned, they're between 90 and 110 minutes. Um, they vary from person to person, but not in person. So if yours is 98 minutes, it's always 98 minutes, for example. So um, what you can do is decide what time you want to wake up and then count backwards in 90 minute cycles. So if you want to wake up at 6 a.m., like I'm not going to do backwards time maths right live on a podcast. Right. So we'll have to work it out. But, you know, backwards in 90 minute cycles and that will give you the bedtime that you need. I would probably tack 20 minutes to half an hour onto it, you know, just to have time to sort of get into bed and settle down. But what should happen is then you are waking up in the, at the end of a sleep cycle, which is where you're sort of naturally coming out of REM sleep and you're going back into that lighter sleep. If you're waking up in the middle of a sleep cycle, you could be in deep sleep and that just is horrible to wake up in. I mean, I genuinely didn't think that my sleep could get much better until I made that change. And now I wake up in a much better mood because of that, whereas previously it was always i'd wake up grumpy you know yeah. and i'd say it wasn't a morning person it wasn't that at all it was just i was grumpy because i'd probably woken up in the middle of a certain cycle but yeah um, i mean ideally everyone would wake up without an alarm and i know that obviously being self-employed i'm in an incredibly privileged position to never wake up with an alarm um and that's the ideal and i would say if you are able to um, to find out, you know, when your best time for waking up, if you could wait, you know, if you could go to bed and not wake up um, with an alarm for sort of three or four days in a row, you would find out what kind of time your body likes to wake up. It's interesting you say that about being self-employed as well, because I would say 99% of driving instructors are, so we're in charge of our diary. Now, there's obviously mitigating factors to that. You know, you've got other work-life commitments yeah. that you might have to take into account and certain students or whatever. But I think where we can, we can do that. You know, I'm in a privileged position now where my alarm is set for 8 a.m. And I usually wake up between half, six and seven. So yeah. like you, I'm not waking up. That alarm is a backup in case I don't wake up. Um, and I think that as instructors, that's something we and be doing more, taking a step back and reflecting. We might not be able to get quite the diary we want, but we yeah. can certainly improve it. Is that something you'd recommend that instructors take a look at? Absolutely. And I actually, um, I do something similar. Um, well, you know, maybe something that, that your listeners can do, which is I change my routine depending on whether it's summer or winter. So obviously the clocks have just gone forward. And normally I would do client calls between 12 and four on my client days in the winter because I don't like, you know, I am very sensitive to um, the environmental cues. So as soon as it gets dark, I'm like, I need to go to bed, <laughs> which is a problem in December, right? It's half past four. Um, but I don't really like to be working when it's dark because it really affects, you know, the, how I'm helping, you know, the delivery of my service. So what I'll do is I'll do 12 to four in the winter. Then in the summer, I'll move my client calls to half past, between half past three and 7 p.m. Because it's still light. I get to go out um, midday and have a walk and, you know, enjoy the sunshine a bit more. Um, I have bigger time blocks of my work. Um, 
and I can still be outside and see the sunrise and the sunset, which is, oh, that's another tip I'll give you in a minute for, for improving your sleep. Um, but I would suggest that if you are in charge of your own diary, you, you definitely should be where possible. And I know it's not always possible because I guess you have students want to practice driving at nighttime and stuff like that. So it's not always possible. But for sure, if you can arrange your diary um so that you can maximize your sleep um it's certainly a good idea yeah i'm looking forward to getting some sleep tips from you in a second but before we do i want to just speak to you a little bit about the uh the rem deep sleep and light sleep they're the kind of free cause aren't they so for anyone that, that doesn't know what 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 is rem deep sleep and light sleep so um deep sleep i'll start with that one because that's so you've when you go to sleep, you go into light sleep. Um, and light sleep is a little bit um, like deceiving the name of it because it sort of suggests that you aren't really asleep and it's not good sleep. But light sleep can be really restorative and it's an important part of our sleep cycle. But that's the kind of the first bit of sleep you'll fall into. Then you'll, you know, not long after you've fallen asleep, you'll fall into deep sleep or what we call slow wave sleep. So that is when your heart rate slows right down um and your you know hope, hopefully your heart rate drops before you're below your resting heart rate and you'll be in quite you know obviously a deep sleep it'll be quite difficult to wake you up but you are getting you know that's the most restorative um bit of sleep and that's normally responsible mostly for physical um repair and recovery and it is when um, human growth hormone is also released during that period of sleep. So for anyone who's hitting the gym and trying to sort of grow some muscles and stuff, that's a really important part of sleep. Um, but repair, recovery, all of that kind of stuff happens in deep sleep. Um, and then next you'll move into REM sleep. So that's rapid eye movement sleep. Um, and that is when you tend to dream. And that's because when you're that's when your brain is doing a lot of the processing of the information and the emotions that have happened during that day. So, as I mentioned before, if you've been doing a lot of learning, um, your brain will decide where all of those things, how they're processed and where they need to go. Um, but, yeah, the dreams are generally um, something actually really interesting that happens is sleep is really important for helping you separate emotions from memories so there was this really cool study sorry i keep going about really cool studies they might not be really cool for other people um this really cool study where they got a group of people and they got them to sing karaoke and obviously you know they were really bad at karaoke um but they got them to sing karaoke and then they sleep deprived one group of them and then they let the others have a really good night's sleep and then the next night, they bought uh, the next day, they brought them both back, both groups, and they played them the original song and what their version sounded like. Um, so obviously they would probably experience embarrassment and stuff like that. So the people who'd been sleep deprived, their amygdala, which is kind of your fight or flight, you know, that embarrassing, like heart racing thing, that lit up. But for the people who'd had a really good night's sleep, it didn't light up as much. So it actually sleep made them more resilient to those emotions. Because if you imagine if that never happened and every time you remembered, oh, my God, I remember when I sang that karaoke song. If you experience the same intensity and level of emotion and embarrassment, 
it'd be really fucking intense, wouldn't it, to be like go through your life remembering stuff. So that's another reason why sleep is important, actually, that REM period of sleep for helping you separate the emotion from the memory and sort of making it bearable to live through it again. So that's what REM sleep is for. And then you go back into light sleep before you wake up. You know, if someone's accountant has told them that they're allowed to claim that mileage, which obviously you're saying they can't, how would you respond to that person? Because they've been given, as you said, misinformation by their accountant mm-hmm. on that. Um, it's pretty clear. And there's been a number of times I've just taken a screenshot of the, the, the Gov UK page and it, it's quite a bold statement. It says, yeah, cars fit to dual controls, can't use the simplified mileage scheme. Obviously, it's then up to them how, how they interpret that and, and what they do and go back to their accountant and how that's dealt with. I think the problem lies is because the majority of accountants don't deal with driving instructors or they might only deal with two or three. So they, they, they just deal with it in the same way that they deal with any other client. Whereas in fact, it's, it's sort of a, a totally different kettle of fish. And you're sort of specialist in this area, aren't you? Yeah, it's, it's the background I've come from. So um, I, I still own a driving school now. I've got a few instructors that work for me in, in the local area. Um, and it's something I've been quite passionate about making sure we get that information right so everyone's uh, seeing off the same end sheet. And I think now is probably the key time to look at the tax. We're coming into a new tax year. We're in April now. And with something like that, so, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're now panicking and thinking, crap, I've been, well, you know, looking at my mileage this way for forever, mm-hmm. would you just be sort of immediately advising them that they have, at the very least, have a discussion with their accountant about this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, like I said before, a lot of the accountants are a bit naive that they don't know that information and you don't know what you don't know at times. If you've always dealt with regular business users, you've never really had the need to search out. Why would it be different for a driving school? Most people wouldn't know that. So, yeah, it's time to have a conversation and make them aware. And there's adjustments that can be made. So it's not like a big panic. You're not going to get HMRC knocking on the door. Um, but it's important you have that conversation so things are are made right and, and that, that accountants continue to do the right thing in the future do you know it's a, a very i don't know what phrase it's maybe a personal question from my perspective because <laughs> whenever i do my tax uh i always panic i mean look we've had this discussion recently about how unorganized i am with stuff and i lose stuff and, and stuff gets mislaid receipts and whatnot and there's been times i've put my tax in late all this kind of stuff and yeah. I always have this panic that I'm going to wind up in jail because I've lost a receipt or, or <laughs> something like that. And realistically, I would imagine you'd have to do something pretty significant for, for like, obviously you can get fines and stuff, but you'd have to do something pretty significant for any drastic action to be taken like that. Yeah, it's it's really rare that as a small business owner, you're going to get prosecuted. Um, if HMRC and they do random spot checks and traditionally they used to do quite a lot with driving trucks because it was a very uh, cash heavy business um, I know a lot of instructors have gone more onto car payments and online payments bank transfers over recent years I guess mainly COVID sped that up a bit but yeah it's just about having some sort of paper trail um, and I guess going back to simple things like making sure you've got a separate bank account um, it doesn't need to be a business bank account, it's just a separate account in your name so that you can see exactly the ins and outs. Things aren't murky. 
because if HMRC come along and you're trying to show a personal statement and you're, well, that was me, that was the missus, that, that was something else. And it, it gets really hard to, to, to justify your income and expenditure. So at that point then, you might end up with an adjusted tax bill, uh, uh, an extra um, extra tax down the line. Worst case, a small penalty. But I would imagine it's just really going to be um, expenses that if you can't prove them, you're not going to pay for paper trial they're probably going to disallow them yeah and and then i suppose above all else it's the hassle and the stress that goes with that um yeah it's, it's going to be a big thing but i mean you mentioned there about tax and i think you mentioned digital we're, we're heading that way now aren't we so everything's got to be more digital tax wise yeah yeah so it's um yeah a bit of a delay it should have been right now april 23 was going to be the big start date and then it was put back and back and i believe at the minute it's going to be from 2026 with sole traders. It's a bit different if you've got registered, but that's already happened. So if you've got registered, then you need to go tax digital now. But I can't imagine too many sole instructors are that registered. There's no real benefit. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a bit, bit away yet, but we're still encouraging, um, especially the driving instructor clients, to try and go down the digital route. Um, just keeps everything tidy. If, if you get the software, it doesn't have to cost the one. You can you can get some software for sort of five, ten quid. Uh, if you've got a NatWest business account as well, they do uh, a free agent subscription for free. It's included in your cost. So it's it's not an expensive uh, avenue. But with that, it attaches your bank feeds attached to your, your uh, accounting software. So it's really easy to just mark things off as they come along, come along attach the receipts, mark down your income. But then also you can keep a track of your accounts more easily um, on a regular basis throughout the year. You can look how you do and you can start to put your tax away rather than getting to the end of the 12 months. Or even still like, no, no you're just saying we're starting a new tax year. Um, it hasn't officially got to be filed until the 31st January next year. And a lot of people are waiting, 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 waiting. Whereas if, it's, if you're using that software, it's really easy to keep up to date. And then within sort of a couple of months, generally my soldiers trade the clients by May, June time, we've got everything done and dusted and they know what the tax liability is and they're all ready to go there for the next year. Yeah, I feel personally attacked there, Dave. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've been there, I've done it when I first started as an instructor because it is all those jobs you put off. You go out and you, you do your lessons in a day and I've been there back in the early days for our kids. I was doing maybe eight, ten lessons a day um, which a lot of people are proud about, but I think we've all been done there and done it at some point. And the last thing you want to do is come back and sort your receipts out or get your bank statements out at the end of the month and, and reconcile them. So I've been there and done it and left it till January and then go, oh, we'll go where I'm, where I'm going to get that money from the tax bill from. So we just want to try and help people to avoid that. Before lockdown, I'd not sat in the back, but the the the, the slides come back and she's passed him and he's giving him his feedback and all that kind of stuff and then and she just turns to me and goes you might want to check your front tire though is it curved three times and i just thought it's back in my head i'm thinking would i rather he'd passed or would i rather he'd grabbed that wheel to protect my tire but just on uh, I mean, sorry go on i mean on, on that same thing sorry but you know how many times you see that on facebook oh this happened the examiner should have been in there and stopped that no they shouldn't that's not their job the assessor's not trainers yeah, good examiners. You know, some of them do, but that's not part of their job. Only if they feel that their life is, or you know, their their safety is compromised, will they intervene? Otherwise, they'll just let them at the curb. It's not their job to stop them. It's not their yeah. job to stop them reversing into a car during a parallel part or whatever. 
So we, we misunderstand what it's about. But see, I think that, I mean, was probably brought about from instructors, but I think that students think that as well. You know, one of the things I stress to the, to the learners is the examiner's job isn't to keep you safe. Your job is to keep the examiner safe. Absolutely. All they're doing is, like you said, is assess them. But just a, a couple of points on the, I think, the things you've said yeah. there. So the, the the one, again, the example I use in my students for the, for the fault and how it can be a fail or not is stalling. Because I had two tests in the same week. I think it was 2019. One passed with five driver faults and all five driver faults were for stalling. And one failed with no driver faults, but failed for stalling because she did it in the middle of a junction and struggled to restart. And I'm yeah. like, so one person's got five faults for stalling and not failed, and one person's got one fault for stalling and failed. And when you put that to students, I think it sinks in a bit. Yeah. And then just a, a, the other thing I'll say is when they're asking about what I fail on my test for that, I, I always say that your driving tests are a reflection of real-life driving. That's it. So what happened in real life? And then you make them assess what happened then and go, okay, so was it dangerous? Did you, like, yeah, okay. Then, yes, you'd fail because you you would have hit the lamppost if I'd not pressed the brake or whatever. Right. So, the, you know, the, the, the simple thing is the driving examiner is asking himself the question. The simplest question is asking him or, him or herself is, do I fancy sharing the road with these people on their yeah. own? <laughs> Just, so we have to prepare them to be able to drive on their own in all sorts of given circumstances, and that includes being sat next to by an examiner. So we've got to look at their decision-making process because the way we prepare them at the minute is not right. We, 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 we're not getting them to make decisions. We're, we're, we're trying to get them to replicate behaviors we think is appropriate. But if they don't think it's appropriate, then it's got, I mean, the classic thing, roundabouts. You know, we search for this Goldilocks moment all the time. To begin with, you know, they're going when they shouldn't. And then you go the other way, and then they're not going when they should. And we, we search, or it starts the other way. They're not going when they should, and then they start going when they shouldn't. And we wheel, whittle it down from either end until we find that Goldilocks moment where they get it just right. There you go. That's grand. Well, that's great when there's no pressure. What if the pressure comes? So we need to start training them a different way. Rather than teaching them stuff, we've got to engage in conversations. How are you deciding whether they go or not at this roundabout? Huh? How are you deciding? I don't know what say. Well, if you did know, what would you say? And if that's it, okay, what circumstances would you not go? What circumstances would you go? What do you need to be able to go? Well, I need space. How much space? I need time. How much time? How long will it take you to get clear of any traffic coming from the right? I don't know. Tell you what, then, at the next roundabout, we'll stop. If, if there's nobody about, we'll stop, and then we'll start again, and I'll time it how long it takes you to get clear. So we try that. Okay, so that's how much time you need. All right, okay. So you're helping them to see that you're, you're, you're hardwiring stuff into their map of the world rather than giving them a shit ton of stuff to remember. Because guess what? When you're under pressure, you don't remember stuff that somebody else has told you. But you never forget things that you've worked out for yourself. You never forget your political views, your religious views, because you came to those on your own through a thought process, through the decision-making process. So you don't forget. And it's the same we're learning to drive. You know, we've really got to get away from this idea that, you know, they can only learn to drive when we tell them what to do. They're sentient beings and they're bloody smart. <laughs> Have a look well, at most of you. Anybody who, who doesn't believe that, go on to ldclearnerdriving.com. Go on to their YouTube channel. I think it's LDC Driving Schools. I'll just type in Bob Morton in the YouTube. I'll come up. 
And look for the lessons with Danielle. I don't think I ever gave her any instruction at all. And there you go. And 20, 20, 24 lessons later, she's through her test. Because I never have to do any lesson twice. We're not wasting time. She never wants to work on manoeuvres. And when I, no, that was clear, wasn't it? I said, you don't want to work on manoeuvres? No. Are you sure? Yeah. She said, do you think I need to work on manoeuvres? No. She said, what do you keep going on about it for them? Because <laughs> <laughs> up to that point, every learner I'd ever come across wanted to work on manoeuvres on the road of the test because they were terrified by them. Why are they terrified by them? Because there's a lot to remember. <laughs> Where if they're working out for themselves, there's nothing to remember. It's hardwired as part of who you are. I love a conference. <laughs> and the reason why I've always loved this kind of thing is because, and especially in an industry where you often work on your own day in, day out, even if you work for a bigger company, you don't have colleagues as such. And what I love about my experience, especially of the intelligent instructor, is that ev- is that everybody is in the same position, whether they're five years deep, one year deep, still training, or 20 years deep. Everyone who goes to that conference, because there are lots of people that don't, I think that's a great shame, but everyone who goes to that conference, they're all in the same kind of mindset, and quite often they know one another. So you meet someone who you met last time or that you've spoken to on Instagram and they introduce you to another person. And, you know, Roland, who I went with, he's never been before, and I've only been as an exhibitor. I've never been as a PDI. So there were already people that I was aware of and that I knew and that I'd spoken to previously. And I haven't been for about 18 months, maybe longer. I went in 2021 and I was a bit daunted because um, it's not really, very, in my opinion, very well marketed. I don't know if I can say that, but I'm going to anyway. I don't think that it's, I don't think that the benefits of going to this kind of thing are very well marketed. And so I knew that I was going to see lots of people that I'd known from kind of my previous experience and the second I walked in, I walked around the corner and I ran into someone that I knew from before. And they were so happy to see me. And we chatted for ages. And they introduced me to another person who we chatted to for ages. And so in that sense, it's not just the networking. Because obviously, um, you know, I do social media. So I'm always kind of thinking about what collab can we do in this sense and what will that mean to our viewer, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of a PDI, he's done it before and right royally fucked it up coming back in and everyone being like, no, it's so good that you're doing it again. If you need anything, contact me. If there's any way I can help you, contact me. If you want to come and see me, come see me and I'll give you a run through. In that sense, you can't put money on how beneficial that is. Um, In terms of the conference itself, looking at it from kind of an external person, as in I've done things like this before, I think there's so many things they could be doing, not just in terms of marketing, but like, um, I'm just on a on a run now, by the way. I'm just going to talk. <laughs> but, um, you know, for start, I think there were so many really, really great talks. Lots of them clashed. And I know that there will always be that in any, any, any expo or conference you go to. But I think some of them maybe were appealing to the same audience, but on at the same time. Don't ask me for an example because I've completely forgotten. Um, and I think they had talks from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Now, at um, Kempton, obviously, it's quite a lot smaller than Coventry, so there weren't loads and loads of stands, but there's lots of people. And I think what a shame that there isn't a dedicated time to actually network 
you know, in lots of conference, they have a breakfast or they have an, an hour at lunchtime or two hours at lunchtime where you can actually dedicate yourself to going around the stalls. And then you're not sacrificing your time listening to all these amazing people who have got so much knowledge to impart. And you're getting, you're making connections and you're meeting people who are like-minded or who could help you or, you know, you could help. And I think that's, that for me was like, I came around being like, oh, I just wish there'd been time for me to network and time for me to see talks and I don't know if that's just me but that is kind of what I came away thinking I don't think it's just you because other people have told me that before um I'm kind of split because I think I agree what you're saying however the way my brain works I kind of like it that way the way it is now because I mentioned before being an introvert if it was like oh this time you're gonna do this and this time that would be too much. That would be overload for my brain. Um, so having it all in one day and going, okay, well, this is here and this is here, and I kind of plan my my route through the day. Um, that that works for me. But I think I probably agree more with you on like the broad perspective in the if there was a way to do that. But it's one of those things where, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing where you're just cramming as much as we can in the hope yeah. to attract as many people as we can, and. But I, I do think that one thing I will say about the the stands, I think there were some really good people there, and I got chatting to some really really good people like Go Roadie. I think their app's brilliant, um, and there were some others as well. Uh, but I think as well when I think about it as a new to the in, so what I think is this. <laughs> Here we go. Wisdom with Laura. I think that. Um, we go to the Intelligent Instructor Expo because we know about the Intelligent Instructor Expo. We know about it because we're that kind of people and likely we have connections outside of that who are also those kinds of people. However, coming at it from someone who is maybe interested in getting into the industry for a completely different reason, I don't know that we I don't know that there's enough knowledge about who these people are and why they're good to listen to and who these stands are run by and why they're good to talk to unless you already have that knowledge and I think the expo is a great thing I think every industry and most industries do I I work with a commercial bird control company and they have a fucking expo like everyone's got an expo but I think um you know there are so many people out there that would make amazing driving instructors we need more what are we actually doing in the context of the Intelligent Instructor Expo to attract people who want to but don't know how or who have just started but don't know enough or to come along and go, okay, this because it's benefited me. I've met some amazing people and I know that I can contact people if I'm having a bit of a nervous moment or if I need some advice. But I've, I only went there because I was an exhibitor once. Otherwise, I wouldn't know this whole world existed. Another question that I do get asked quite a bit is um, why I started the podcast. Now, I have spoke about this before, but again, this is way back in the early episodes. So I will mention again now, the, the, the premise for this podcast was always to speak to businesses and people and products that I believed in, that I endorsed, that I wanted to promote, that I wanted to showcase and then showcase them. It was to give... Uh, listeners uh, information and inspiration on a, a regular basis and build up this almost next fit I can't say Netflix style 
content where you can just dip in and go back and listen to this thing on coaching or listen to this thing on the standards check or listen to this thing on you know build, growing your business or, or social media or whatever it might be to build up this this wealth of content because i don't think there was anything out there like it there, there was a lot of on-demand stuff already out there when i started doing it but there was nothing that i found and i could be wrong but no one showed me anything yet and um, there was nothing i found that was updated this regularly with this variety and with this quantity and that was something that i've gone for from day one quantity quality and variety and i believe i'm producing that as we say there's over 100 hours of audio free available to you to listen to for free so that that's where it comes from and that premise is still the same i still want to showcase people products and businesses that i believe in i still want to provide information and inspiration for people that listen i hope that every single episode that someone listens to they can take something from i really do i hope that from today you can take something whether it's just learning something new or whether it's being inspired speaking of being inspired that's uh, another thing that i get asked about sometimes which is people saying that they how do I have the confidence to, to go out and do this thing? The, you know, the podcast or whatever, when, when I talk about openly that I'm introverted and that I'm not an overly confident person. So how do I, you know, manage to do this? If you like, I generally had a, a quite simple philosophy for a few years now, which is, you know, be scared of the thing and then do it anyway what's the worst that can happen so you know i go back to well this episode today if i do this this random episode and nobody listens and i look at my stats and it doesn't have as many listeners and people are switching off after five minutes when they realize it's just me well i can take information from that and i can go okay that's not what people want so therefore i won't do any of these going forward or at least i won't do many of these going forward whereas perhaps if the numbers are really high and i get feedback from this then i can do more of this who knows but there is no failure there is learning that's it you know if, if this podcast fails whether it's the overall podcast whether it's the the episode or whatever that's not a failure on my part that just shows that what i was doing wasn't right and that could be that i'm not suited to this or it could be that there isn't enough demand for this so so when it comes to that idea of doing something like this i think that often it's taking a step back and going well there is no failure there is only discovery um i think i've just created that quote so i'm going to use that there is no failure there is only discovery and that is generally premise uh, i live with this stuff we can even fast forward that to standards checks you know there is no failure there is only discovery if you fail a standards check yes you have technically failed that standards check but you have discovered what you need to do to pass next time or what you need what changes you need to make so yeah uh, that would be my answer around that one I want to speak to you just a little bit about anxiety as well then i think it's 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 relevant definitely because as you mentioned that's the the theme of this year's uh, mental health awareness week and i'm going to ask you for another def definition um what's a definition or how would you describe uh the word anxiety 
how would I describe the word anxiety? Uh, I, I mean, technically, anxiety is a bodily response to stress. I think anxiety often gets lumped in as being fearful. It is often, people think of that dictionary definition of being anxious, but it's not always presented in that way. It can be, it can be having too much energy when you see people that are like uh, pen clickers, people that click their pens, you know, they're, yeah, at their desks, the people that are fidgeting with their keys and they're tapping their feet. It can be people that become overly irritable about things that they would normally be able to let wash over them. You can see it in people that, I mentioned having too much energy. It can go the other way. Not enough energy. People become incredibly lethargic. They feel like they're wading through mud or fast-paced breathing, um, racing, like heart racing, palpitations, clammy hands. You might see people that become even angry. Some people get angry with it. And I think that's not something that people often associate with being fearful or anxious but there are, you know, there are so many different variations of how it might manifest in someone. But yeah, it's generally triggered by some form of stressor. Um, you've just described ninety percent of students going for a driving test, which <laughs> amused me greatly. Um, so, just to to clarify, then, because I, I think that's the first time I've heard it phrased that way. It would be like the the physical manifestation of stress, essentially. Yeah, yeah. that is what I would. I would say that that is. And I think just before we move into looking at sort of the anxiety itself, the, do you think that this this fascinates me? Do you think people use the term too easily? Um, and obviously, you can't speak for learners, but I'll, I'll use that example of um, and a learner will sometimes just say they they failed because they were nervous or because they got anxiety or whatever. And a lot of the time, it's true. But do you think people sometimes use that as a bit of a crutch, a bit of a, this is an excuse for why I've done what I've done? I don't know if it's an excuse. I do think the term can be used too much, especially if people are referring to it as a, as a, like a diagnosed, I've got anxiety, rather than saying, I'm a little bit anxious. Having anxiety is, is debilitating. It can be absolutely, completely debilitating. Or saying I'm a little bit nervous or actually my nerves got the better of me is a better approximation than saying actually I've got. Because for people that are genuinely struggling with full-blown anxiety, that can, can destroy their lives for a period of time. It's, it really does turn things upside down and it shouldn't be belittled or or palmed off as being just a little bit worried because it's not just being a little bit worried. It can be huge and it can be over. I mean, it can be attached with other mental health conditions as well. But at that point, if it's, if it's nerves over a driving test, probably better to say, actually, I'm a little bit nervous or I didn't sleep very well because I'm worried. Does it sometimes prevent like a mental block that stops people from doing something? It can add to confusion and you can find yourself with the brain fog, real brain fog, not being able to think clearly, not being able to get through your own thoughts properly, um, or even being able to prioritise at that point because it's all quite overwhelming and things can then 
build up and that can lead to panic attacks. So that potentially would get in the way of doing things. Was a, that was a personal question, that one, a personal curiosity question. Um, let's... So can you sort of say the, the 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 physical or some of the ways it can display itself physically? So if we were just pulled up to the driving test center and we're waiting for the examiner or we're in the car waiting to get out and that student is clearly displaying some either nervous symptoms or some symptoms of anxiety, you know, you can see they're getting overexcited, they're sweaty, they're gripping the wheel, you know, that kind of stuff. What would we do to accommodate that do you think or to help with that maybe a better word i think potentially talking it through before you get to that situation teaching them maybe some breathing techniques that they can use before it gets to that point so that if you're trying to teach someone something when they're already anxious and they're already in a bit of a state they're not going to hear it properly they're not going to be able to to take that on board it would be like trying to get a two-year-old to dress themselves much like trying to get an octopus into a net bag, doesn't happen. <laughs> um, just arms flailing everywhere and the mind's going round in circles. So I think teaching them to be able to ground themselves, using all five senses so that they can use some slow breathing. So if they get themselves into that state, you know that you're going to get there in plenty of time. They've got time to calm themselves down. They're taking lots of nice, long, slow, deep breaths, getting that oxygen into the brain again, being able to calm that nervous system back down and focusing on where they are. If they, sometimes you'll see with anxiety, you get into a habit of having all or nothing thinking, you get faulty thinking patterns. So they get to the point where I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to pass. So being able to find the evidence that actually you've done this before, remember you've you've done that before. Remember the other day you managed to park like this before. Finding evidence that disproves that faulty thinking and being able to put them back on that track and fill them with confidence and reassurance, nice and calm. I mean, road safety is just not sexy, is it? I, I uh, <laughs> if ever I'm, we don't go to a lot of parties and things, but if ever I'm there with my my wife, you see, sort of, trying people ask what I do, and I'm explaining. We produce VR film, and I'm in the media and uh, yeah, publishing. She says, "No, you're not. You're in road safety. Like it's <laughs> like it's the most withering put down since your mum said stop showing off in front of your friends. It's like uh, not not the kind of thing that you know traditionally, you know, uh, perhaps dynamic people or people." um you know with 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 big ideas want to be uh, associated with i don't know why that is i think it's i think it's the inclusion of the word safety and the sort of relatively mundane nature of of of, of, of transport unless you're an enthusiast and i've never been involved in an enthusiast segment there's a lot of amazing enthusiast stuff that goes goes on in you know in in, in transport but um we've never really fallen into that um but i suppose the other thing is that you know there might be an element of complacency i think we've got some of the safest roads uh in in the world and you know road safety is is still you know a very big issue it's a huge cost to the economy it's a huge human cost and all the associated other costs but you know it's it's um you know the story is pretty good compared to other countries uh across the world even very developed countries so maybe there's a sort of an apathy towards uh the, you know the need for it that there isn't in in other uh areas of health and well-being yeah I think that runs across everything, doesn't it? Not just instructors, because I, I do other podcasts for, for like learners and stuff like that. And again, if the title says road safety, the numbers aren't as good as if the title says three ways to pass your driving test, you know? And, yes. <laughs> and yeah, really adverse to clickbait. I, I don't mind with spicing up titles. So I've already got my title for this episode, which is road safety isn't sexy. You know, I, I, <laughs> 
I'm not adverse to spicing up stuff, but I'm really adverse to clickbait. But I just want, you know, do you think that potentially that could be something that, that attracts more people? Or do you think that if you use some sort of clickbait method to, to draw people in, they'd come, see what you're actually talking about, and then disappear anyway? Yeah, it's an interesting one when you talk about you know clickbait and education. I, I remember reading a white paper some time ago all about rewriting uh, email subject lines with better open rates. And actually, that was quite transformative for me. It was things like generating self-interest, making something time-limited, um, intrigue. And actually, you know, there's 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 a lot to that. I think you're right. You know, the, the way the media use clickbait and and, and stuff is, um, you know, it, it, it from a news telling point of view isn't, you know, it isn't always that helpful. But um, from, from a road safety perspective, I think you know we want educators want to tell people what they want to tell them, rather than understanding what people want to be told and, and need to be told. We've got the fatal five, which is quite fatal four, fatal five, quite arbitrary. You know, you go in, talk to me about drugs and driving. I mean, I've always thought I would be super efficient on cocaine. I would get so much done, like, uh, you know, make more, um, you know, film and, and, and products. But I'm never going to do cocaine. It's not raised that way. It's not something that I, I, I'm ever, ever going to do. But people will talk to you about it. Like, I always wear a seatbelt. People will talk. But the things that perhaps I might be more likely to do, drive, Maybe a little bit fatigued and, and and things. These are the things that perhaps resonate and are more receptive uh, to. So I think we've got to we've got to understand, and this is really where driving instructors come in because I think you have these pinch points. Uh, if you look at the Venn diagram of where people might be interested in, in in road safety, it's when they're in a pinch point, so they're in a a journey, like you know the learning to drive process, and you know there's a moment of high relevance. So you know at that point they're paying good money to 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 learn how to be a good driver uh, or you know to pass the test or, or or whatever but they're receptive to the information at that point and then you know a lot of the time we try and tell people things that they're perhaps not interested in at that moment or can't do anything about at that moment and if you can't do anything about it then then uh, you know what's to some degree um, you know, we know the forgetting curve is quite steep for some of this stuff. So uh, talking to people about it a long time before they can actually action it might be better to talk about something that they can, um, you know, can put into action. From from speaking to you and from from seeing your stuff online, I came across the phrase, uh, phrase garage anxiety. Right. And I've never heard that before. So talk to you about garage anxiety. What do you mean by that? So garage anxiety is something that we see on a daily basis. It's not necessarily just new or young drivers. It's kind of drivers who have maybe been driving for the past 10 years. But I think since the pandemic, it's a lot more um, visual now. People obviously are a lot more aware of what the different mental illnesses are, because obviously during the pandemic, we all kind of became aware of of different mental illnesses so uh, it's not necessarily a mental illness it is more a fact of if you have anxiety it's likely uh, it's more of an environment where you're gonna it's gonna be more heightened if you know what i mean so um let's say you've just passed your driving test and you've been driving for three months so you're kind of getting a bit confident and you get a flat tire and in your head you're thinking oh my god Pass my driving test, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. What do I do? I've got a flat tire, it's stuck on my drive. And then it's like panic sets in. They're a bit like, oh, I don't, um, um, um. So, what I'm trying to change is the fact that they would know what to do. So, hope when my website's eventually launched, they would be able to just kind of 
go onto the website and it says flat tire click on that one oh this is what i need to do and it'll say like call down call a, a recovery company or call your local garage to see if they do a call out or have, have you got breakdown blah 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 and um, so the garage anxiety is like the fear of the unknown because they have this perception unfortunately in the motor trade we have a perception that we are kind of like the con men and that we're just going to rip everybody off what we do but realistically most independent garages like ours we're just working for a living and to keep our family business going that's what most independent garages do so we are trying to keep our community safe at the same time so I think we're just trying to change the perception of the garages and also stop the fear of the unknown. Because if somebody has a flat tire, it's so easy to be fixed and it literally takes half an hour. So I just kind of want to raise the awareness to them that it's something they don't need to worry about and they don't need to keep driving on it or, you know, go to a petrol station and put air in it. And it might go down again half an hour later and still be driving on it because obviously you, anything could happen. Um, so it's just a case of basically trying to stop these different things and also trying to stop them from turning the music up when they hear a noise in the car because they don't know what they need to do and they think it's going to be expensive because most of the time a noise in a car isn't expensive but it's expensive when you've turned your music up and you've carried, drive, carried on driving around on it for six months. So, Is that a yeah. genuine thing that people do? Oh, I have done it. So yeah, it's a genuine thing. But I think before I, I should probably say that, but before like I was kind of involved with the business, I did something completely different. So for me, I was just, oh my God, I have to go and ask my dad to fix the car. Oh my God, he's going to go mad. You know, so I think just turning the music up, you're a bit like, oh, I don't need to hear it today. I'll just deal with that tomorrow. But then obviously that then gets pushed down weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and we always get a customer that will come in and say, it did start about six months ago. So I don't, it could be something, you know, it could have just been like um, a track wedding that's gone or it could be the ball joint that's gone. But because they've carried on driving around on it, the suspension's been even more compromised. So then there's more components of the vehicle that's actually now needs replacing. So therefore it's more expensive. So, yeah. What I come across a lot is people that are scared. And, and I've okay. been in this boat. So I'm going to ask you from that perspective. If someone, maybe they've got an idea of what they want to do, but they don't know where to start, they're too scared to start. How, how can I go on social media and say, I've done a thing? What do you say to those people? Right. So is this someone with something or without something? Because I've got a slightly different answer depending. Is this someone with an idea, maybe? Do both. Do both. Okay. I'll do the idea one first. Yeah. All right. This is going to sound really basic and really patronizing and really fucking simple google it okay i'm going to give you an example from my life i have a business my brand is called coffee with damp um no logic behind it i woke up one morning i used to drink um don't drink any alcohol nothing wrong with it if you enjoy a drink fucking fantastic i still have lots of drinks in my house that i dish out to others that sounds really dodgy when you say that out loud but what i mean is is that i've got you know i've it's a, it's a personal choice for me to to stop drinking but when i was drinking i was probably drinking a little too much and i thought i'll just have this facebook group and i'll show up every morning i'll teach so basically you keep me accountable because if i say i'm going to do something i do it and that will stop me getting pissed the night before so and then i'll teach you things that i would learned from building all the agencies and all the marketing stuff i did and 
so it's called Coffee with Dan. And I remember someone saying to me, not super long ago, last year, why haven't you got a coffee? And I'm like, yeah, that's actually a fucking good point, actually. Probably should have some coffee. And I don't know jack shit about a coffee business. So I went on to Google, how do you start a coffee business in the UK? That's it. And then I looked at the research. There were some medium articles. There were some videos and stuff. Then there's a list of companies that did it. I emailed 10, four came back, had a conversation with all four. One of the guys I just really fucking like, we just got on like a house on fire, kind of touching what I said earlier. And then as of recording this week, I launched my coffee. We've sold hundreds of bags already. Um, people actually love it, which is nice. It actually tastes nice and people think it's brilliant. But that's what it started with it, with a Google search and thinking, right, okay, how do I do it? And just starting doing it. And the next thing was just to put it out there. Like with no, there's no guarantees of success. Okay. So if you've got the thing already, um, you need to learn how to market the thing. So I will say learning the basics of sales and marketing, both, you know, verbally via the written word, copywriting, sales techniques, social media marketing. Like this sounds like a lot, but there are, you know, there are paid resources. And, and the reason I suggest paid first, if you have the penny spare, is because what you invest in, you kind of tend to put more weight into doing it. So there's this kind of, you know, a lot of people don't value free as much as they should, which is silly because there's one, there's like literally there's the, everything you possibly need is at your, is at your thumb tips. Okay. You just type it in and find the answer to pretty much anything you need. But if, you know, money is a little tight, resources are a little bit tight, there are free resources in there. And then the investment is going to be your time and energy. So that's the equity that you're going to be putting into that. But when it comes to like overcoming the fear side of things, um, my, I kind of touched on this earlier. Most people are just kind of concerned about their own shit. They're worried about their own problems. They've got their own issues, their own wants, their own needs. Like to really give too much of a shit about you doing your thing. And this is it. I'm I'm very fortunate that I have worked with thousands of people when I've been like at the start of some people's, you know, stupendous careers. And I'm so proud that, that I was sort of, sort of like the spark for a lot of these people who've now gone on to achieve amazing things. You don't know how things are going to work until you put there. I met a chap, um, a mastermind I did. He was earning, say, about four grand a month. And I, and I hope that doesn't sound facetious, but in entrepreneurship, that's, you know, that's kind of okay. Sort of like, you know, you're doing all right. He was doing some copy and building some funnels, which are like sort of automated marketing systems. And he was one of the most talented, charismatic people. And I was just kind of like, you are playing so, so I shredded him shredded him and then i saw we're still friends um he came to see me in brighton when i used to live there and he was doing well um and he turned that business so that conversation he had he decided to go and partner up with someone and launch a sort of coaching supplement kind of combination thing in the fitness space and he he did a, he did a hardcore version and he basically he had a relationship that was just kind of a, wasn't going anywhere so he ended that he cancelled his direct debits to everything. He literally turned his spare room into a gym and he only left his house twice a day to go for a walk and get food. That's it. He did that for nine months and he made a million dollars. I just saw an update from him the other week. Thought, oh, you look like you're somewhere nice. Yeah, he owns pretty much Germany's biggest independent payment processor now. He, he has no knowledge. In fact, you know, he obviously decided, fuck it, that's, I see an opportunity there. I'm going to go for it. So, that fear, that worry is just holding you back from a future that could be absolutely fucking fantastic. 
Okay. But also, much like you said about the trying things twice, I've done plenty of things. Oh, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to launch that. I want to try it. I did it and I was like, oh, this is a bit shit. I don't want to do this anymore. And obviously, I didn't just get, you know, cancel. So I sort of like wrap those things up and stuff. But it's a case of it's that whole regrets thing. Um, do you want to kind of, you know, wrap up your life wishing you'd have tried things, wishing you'd have put something out there? Honestly, you're going to regret more of the things you don't do than the ones you do. And that's what I've learned from having, you know, years of just going like, oh, fuck it, putting myself out there and seeing what happens. And you know, yeah, I've made mistakes. I've screwed up. Things haven't gone to plan. I've lost money on stuff, but they are massively um, outweighed by all the things that's gone right. And, you know, the book in itself, Terry, I, people kept asking me to do it. And I was like, oh, can't be asked. You know, no one's going to want to read a book from me. I don't know how to write a book. So I did the same thing. Posted on Facebook. Does anyone know how to write a book? Someone tagged someone in. That person then became, you know, a friend. He's now my publisher. He came up with the the hook for the book. And I was like, right. And I just sat down, wrote it in three and a half days after a day's planning. My goal was to sell 500 copies. I printed off 500. I put a big event on. But we're a million plus now. Like, it's insane. So, again, you don't know until you put things out there. But honestly, it's a cheesy cliche saying. You probably heard. But all the good stuff you want is on the other side of fear. It really is. If you have to be told that it's not okay to don't lurch over your young female driver or uh, it's not okay to comment on someone's sexual orientation or how they identify or make sure you don't air your views on Muslim taxi drivers. It's like, if we need to try and not do that, then why are we on the register in the first place? Because um, if you still think any of that's all right, then you need a different type of check, like a, like a reality one. There's a different register for those people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving swiftly on this uh we recently did a podcast called the green room where we spoke about why does everything have to be standard check based so on this episode with six traders talking about the standard check how would you prepare for a standard check it was the episode in which i solved the uh dbsa waiting list um so we, i we. would i wouldn't i wouldn't prepare for it uh what i would do is make sure that every single lesson matches it because then I don't have to. Well, should the free strikes and your out rule apply? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's sort of pointless without any consequences. Like, what's the point? You could just keep taking them and failing them. So you need that consequence. I talked to an awful lot of trainers who have not read the National Standard for Driver and Rider Training. Well, bloody shame on you. We know what it is that published this information in 2013, and as an industry, we're wandering around with our thumb up our backside and our brain and neutral, unaware of what they're expecting from us. And then we point the finger at them and say, it's just unfair. Great point, Phil, about the part three. There you go, eight seconds left. Used to be a legend <laughs> in the industry. Um, <laughs> right, so. Uh, can, can I have my 30 seconds back, please? No. <laughs> Uh, I think I would change it to a standards check every 18 months in alphabetical order so we all know where the 18 months is so we can constantly do the training that's required and keep it up. I think the only thing I would change is that we have to evidence compulsory CPD every year when we do go. Um, <laughs> if I was in charge of the DBSA. Um, can you imagine that? Um, no. I think you'd see me a bit of, as a bit of an outsider. So I'd have to go in first day and do something crazy like 
changing the trigger for serious faults to 0.555 just so they go he's one of us i might think about adding some stuff to it not sure about cpd in light of recent events you know accredited courses it's a tricky one isn't it it's a tricky one awesome uh potentially another one that's poking the bear there which is good i've been called woo woo twice today (laughs) (laughs) and then the fourth year free choice cpd absolutely no restrictions you can do anything you like you can go and learn to be a pole dancer bob if you want to um you could do anything you wanted under cpd as long as you can prove a connection that is going to benefit you as a driving instructor so just doing a google search on sturdy poles get off my 60 seconds um i will just chuck in here actually that uh i'm quite proud of myself with how we're doing this so far because i must admit there are some podcast hosts out there that couldn't interact with guests this way because they would have to get their own opinion across every 30 seconds so this is fun um let's move on to the just in uh, the just keeping with the theme of poking the bear i'm wearing shorts right now <laughs> we're not marking you down for it don't worry it's too hot. Um, i have a simple one to add and it, it sort of ties into the stuff I was talking about before about dealing with customers and being professional. You know, number 18, I would add, has has the ADI stroke PDI behaved like a dick on social media in the last month? If so, that should be a trigger. <laughs> be a, a safety critical one as well. Gone. We're not trying to reduce the amount of tests. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like to add to the bottom of the sheet and a bit like emma said before is a way of recording the cpd so the examiner could see that as well and mark that down so it's just another not a tick box but a way of demonstrating that you do do cpd i think first of all it starts now like be training now um, so never stop training, never stop getting better. That's how you prepare for a standards check. Don't wait for that letter. I just want to say that I've just noticed that Bob's clock stopped. <laughs> 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 I don't want to just realise. <laughs> he thought it would get him an extra 60 seconds. That's what... <laughs> well, I'm awesome because my mum says I am. I'm awesome because Terry keeps having me back. Um, so he, it's it's purely down to him. Uh, so I'm awesome because I'm an individual. I'm awesome because you keep telling me I'm awesome. Great. I'm very overrated. I, 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 I'm going to put the trend and say I don't think I am awesome. I'm chasing awesome. Um, I tend to say chasing excellence, actually, but we'll go for awesome today. And I think that makes you awesome because you're chasing awesome. And, and so you're constantly trying to be better. I think the, uh, the start of that hurt my head a little bit, but I'm going to take a moment to say to anyone listening, there's some fucking gold right there. Seriously, especially on the last three questions about the actual practicality of the standards check. Seriously, just, just save this in your phone, get your standard check coming up. When you find out, well, do it anyway, obviously, as everyone said, prepare, blah, 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 blah. But when you've got your standard check coming up, go back and listen to this again. doesn't just get my download numbers up, but it'll help you pass a standards check. Can we just like point out what is the worst Rocky movie in your opinion? Um, I mean, well, first of all, I, I don't think that is a bad Rocky movie. There is there is one bad Rocky movie. No, okay, uh, one. you're talking Rocky Five, aren't you? Of course, everyone knows no. this. But no. I will say this: Rocky Five is the only one that makes me cry. 
There's one scene in Rocky Five that will always make me cry, but I just I'm not a fan of the rest of the movie. Um, look, clearly it's not as good on. as the rest. It's not as good. You've got Rocky One and Rocky Two, which you can't give them both sort of ten out of ten because Rocky is the best of the lot. So it'd be like one and uh, ten and nine. Uh, three and four are just classic cheese eighties type of films. Um, Rocky Five. If you maybe say four and five, uh, sorry, three and four are an eight out of ten, and I'd, I'd give Rocky five a seven. And then you've got uh, Rocky Balboa, which is was amazing. I, yes, took me by surprise completely. I I think I spent the first twenty minutes of that film thinking I was going to find it atrocious, and then just got completely mm. absorbed into it. And by the end, oh. I was bawling my eyes out. It's such a good movie. Okay, let's just put it this way. So my order is: I actually have Rocky three and four above one and two. Like I love one and two. I grew up. I grew up on the Rocky movies. One and two were amazing, but three and four, like especially like Rocky Four with the Russian, easily my favorite. The montage for that was wonderful. Hearts on Fire. Are you kidding me? I'm all about that. Then you got Rocky Three. The whole Club of Lang, Mr. T thing was wonderful. Rocky Two actually trumps Rocky One for me because Rocky One was really what like Rocky One is a masterpiece. Don't get me wrong. It is a masterpiece. It's very highly regarded in many other areas, but in my list, I put it below two for one simple reason. Two kind of gave me the complete feeling of like, this is the redemption arc. You see him really go out there and push himself. It goes to another level. The first one is, this is my shot. I'm going to try and make the best of it, which is everyone loves the underdog story. Now we will say all four of these really hank highly. Like I'm talking eight, like nine and ten level all of them i don't have a rating system for which one goes in the nines and tens they're just in that pantheon five is like a six out of ten for me like it's a real plummet off the cliff and then rocky balboa rocky balboa is like that's a nine that's a set that's an 8.5 or a nine for me just so well done to actually get mason the line dixon aka um tavares is it tavares I can't. Uh, Antonio, yeah, Antonio Tavares. Um, to get him to actually actually do this, to be part of it, was wonderful. Like, uh, sorry, not Tavares, Tava, Antonio Tava, the boxer. Um, to get him to be a part of it and actually punch Stallone, and he took the punch is never a thing. So we're getting off the point here. The reason I bring this around because I saw that post was simply because you said something about almost getting back to. 100% getting back to full capability of who you are and what you're able to do. I've been trying, and it's a selfish reason I'm asking. I've been trying to figure out how to do that with myself because I've, you know, I've been coming out of my own thing. You know, even though I am as good as I am, I'm not the best I could be. Like, I know what's above. How did you get back? Like, what were the steps that you took? Um, I need to touch back on the Rocky ranking for a second. Um, the, oh, please go for it. I would never argue with anyone over their Rocky rankings because I, I love all the films. So whatever order you put them in, I'd be happy with. But I will just say that I think the reason I love Rocky 1 the most is because the, the exact opposite to you, I think. It's because, and I'm spoiling a film from the 70s when I say this, so if you haven't watched Rocky, take a pause. Um, it's 50 years win. ago. They were, yes. Yeah, I was going to say, it was 50, 50, and again, 50. I... 50 years. Making me feel old. <laughs> um, but yes, he didn't win. And that's why I love it. 
because every film, you know, they always finish with a thing winning. And he won what he needed to win without winning the match, the match, the fight. And I absolutely adore that. And um, however, Rocky II does give us the the immortal line. So, yeah. Yeah, and again, but the other thing as well as I was going to say, it's the, the, it's the exact same reason. It's why I love Rocky 1, because he doesn't win. But that's why I love Rocky 2 more, because he does finally win. It's like, you finally made it. You made it over the hill, and you see what happened. It, it's, yeah, okay. We're, we're not going to talk anymore about Rocky, because we're going to be here for like hours talking about this, but go you, on. Uh, you can come back on season 6, and we'll finish off on Creed. Um, the, the way that Don't I really get me started. Back. Creed is amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, no, Terry, driving the instructor podcast, the instructor podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts, and game changers about what drives them. <laughs>